What are you escaping from? What's so uncomfortable in your feelings that you can't sit with them for, you know, an hour or two or half a day or a day or, or whatever? Hi everyone, I'm Hetty Holmes and you're listening to Hacking Happiness with Dose, the podcast that explores what makes us feel good to improve our mental, physical, spiritual and emotional well-being. Whether it's a dopamine hit on reaching a career goal, a rush of oxytocin from spending time with loved ones, a surge of serotonin from practicing self-care or a fitness class that's an endorphin soaring, Everyone's definition of what makes us feel good is very different. My next guest is one of London's leading hypnotherapists and life coaches, Melminda Gill. For over a decade, she has helped her circle of high-end clients, celebrities and royals included, overcome anxiety, breakups and changing thought patterns. As an expert on mental health, she gives advice on how we can nurture our well-being to be happy in these challenging times. I hope you enjoy. Okay, well, Melmanda, thank you so much for joining me on the Dose podcast. It's such a pleasure to have you on. Um, we obviously always kick off this podcast by talking about careers and about you know how people get a lot of satisfaction from it and you know find find their identities through it as well. But during the current situation, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty. Um, people are you know furloughed and and kind of unsure if they will be even returning to their jobs. So. Is this something that you're coming across with your clients? Is, uh, have you had a lot of kind of new inquiries or, you know, um, your existing clients getting in touch about those uncertainties about their careers moving forward? Absolutely. Um, I think right now with the um, coronavirus pandemic, it's, you know, throwing up uncertainty all over the place. Um, health, families, relationships, careers, money, everything. And um I've had uh, my uh, existing clientele um, share their concerns about their jobs, um, financial worries, but also it's apparent with uh, new clients are reaching out because, you know, if you're suffering from a mental health related issue already and then you have the worry and the concern of your, your job, it's just a lot to take in. Um, and so... I'm hearing this a lot. I think probably nearly everybody I'm speaking to uh, has been concerned in one way or another um, about the future of their job and it's causing a lot of anxiety, sleepless nights, um, you know, changes in appetite, uh, all sorts of things like that. Yeah. And and how do you think the world will change? Do you think we will be working from home like where possible in the future, even when things get back to normal? Do you think it's actually kind of better in a way that we don't crowd into work as much and and you know, like, you know, take up all that time commuting? Well, I think that now we've all been kind of thrown into this weird space where we have to work from home. And so uh, a lot of people have realized Employees have realised that they can work from home. It is possible. Employers, too, have realised that it's possible. And I think where where in the past there might have been some employees thinking, oh, if so-and-so is working from home, they're going to be skiving off and perhaps not doing as much work as they should be. I think it might have, might have restored uh, trust in some employers and, you know... Um, and I think that's probably helped. And so I think going forward, um, I think there's a higher chance for people to work from home, maybe a day or two a week. And I think 
people will people are starting to see the benefit of it i mean of course not too much working from home but you know um a nice balance i think that's probably what will happen and hopefully fingers crossed if that does happen where you do have this flexible approach to your work i think that's going that's going to have a huge impact on people's well-being and mental health overall um, because you're not rushing around quite so much um, when you can get a couple of days at home each week. Yeah. And so as a hypnotherapist, how do you coach people to stay motivated and positive during these hard times? Like, especially over Zoom or over, over the phone, like how, how do you how do you help them? So, I mean, really quite simply breaking it down. So, I mean, a lot of people started out in, in January 2020 with uh, huge goals of wanting to lose uh, this much weight or wanting to stop eating sugar or wanting to stop biting their nails or something along those lines and and of course now you know we're in a place where you can get away with doing a lot of those things um in the comfort and privacy of your own home and no one will know um so staying motivated is key so where i'm helping clients mainly is to break things down so that they can have um more um daily goals weekly goals so you know, do the best that you can for today, you know, rather than thinking, you know, I'm going to have to stay motivated for this particular problem I'm trying to overcome for the rest of my life. Just take it a day at a time. Yeah. And you treat a lot of people with addiction, don't you? Yes, I do. And in particular, um, uh, sugar addiction and food related addiction um, in particular is uh, what I help a lot of people with eating too much chocolate or um, sugary foods or even savoury foods and binge eating and that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, are you seeing a, a rise of that with clients kind of during lockdown or, or more people getting in touch because of that? Because we, we just wrote a piece on that exactly, actually, about how people are kind of almost comfort eating given the uncertainty of, you know, their, their lives and Yeah, yes, I am. But also, in addition to that, an increase in... Um, drinking too much alcohol as well so that's um, that's a new thing uh, I mean I've always had clients who uh, perhaps drink a little bit too much and wanted to address that but the difference I've noticed during lockdown is an increase uh, in, in numbers of queries from people who want to reduce their alcohol consumption on top of um, you know eating too much and you're right I mean it's something that people are turning to as a source of comfort familiarity and in uncertain times that's what we want we want to go back to um, behaviors that we find comforting safe Um, and in some regards you know a switch off an escape as well and so with the alcohol addiction do you do you see you know a lot of people are having having problems with their with their loved ones at home and kind of they're concerned about their behavior and things like that yes yeah, so with that kind of thing especially when it's related to alcohol drinking too much and then you know of course sometimes when that happens um you're more prone to say things that you don't mean do things that you don't wouldn't normally do and that of course has its own implications um, and problems but I think staying indoors with the same people day in day out is uh, not normal for any of us and so even without any addictive um, problems that you might be suffering from it's already quite a challenge and you might be finding that you're looking for 
and escape or fantasizing about what you're going to be doing as soon as lockdown is lifted. Mm. And how, how do you help people in relationships to kind of keep the romance alive and kind of stay positive? Because as you say, it's a very unnatural situation to be cooped up with each other. Yeah. And we're not used to spending yeah. so much time together. So it's- <laughs> no, we're not. So, I mean, the number one tip that I've been uh, telling everybody is, you know, get your alone time. And that, you know, in, in where we're at right now, that might even mean a whole day away from your partner in a different room doing your own thing. Um, of course, that's a struggle if you're living in a, a small place, but to have that switch off time where you do your own thing, um, you know, even perhaps with your own friends, um, you, you know, whether that's on Zoom or on the telephone, but to keep yourself a little bit separate rather than um, doing the easy thing, which is um, doing everything together. So remaining independent in, in this way and um, respecting their independence too. Yeah. So, so that might look like, um, you know, uh, once or twice a week having the evening off where um, you each spend time talking to your friends, for example, just to get a different flavour coming in, <laughs> socially speaking. Yeah. And um, so talk, talking about oxytocin, which is our bonding hormone that's most mm. stimulated when we're you know, in contact with others in a social context, um, given all the restrictions, how can, we, how can we stimulate that happy hormone when, when we're not seeing our friends as much? Yeah. Are there ways... Yeah. Because that's really, yeah, like you said, stimulated when uh, you, you're around your loved ones, and especially with touch, hugging, for example, um, you know, uh, will be, you, you know, um, releasing oxytocin for some people. So what do you do there? That's a great question. And actually, it was just last week I delivered a session online over Zoom for a client who was feeling particularly lonely and isolated from all of her family because she lives miles away from everybody. And um, I delivered a hypnosis session to, uh, you know, engage her active imagination and combined with her memory to remember those times. And she found that a huge help and she felt so much better afterwards. So, you know, what can you do here listening at home when I say that is, imagine it remember it think about it those memories will help to release some of that oxytocin too but you know actually actively imagining it as if it's happening now mm-hmm. and is it that something you can get through meditation or do you do you suggest doing something a bit deeper mm-hmm. like hypnotherapy uh, yeah i mean it can start with meditation um you'll have a, a a deeper effect with hypnotherapy but meditation why not and it does work because we have um, active mind and reactive body. So even in a meditation, when uh, your meditation teacher goes through what's called uh, progressive relaxation, that's where you go through all the different body parts from your head to your toe or from your toes to your head, relaxing each muscle group, you'll find that you do relax a little bit more. So that's what all you'll be doing is um, just thinking and imagining of embracing that person, hugging that person, being with that person, and that that will make you feel 
a little bit better. It might make you feel upset because you miss that person, but um, it can also make you feel so much better as well if you stay focused. So if, you, if you're already accustomed to doing progressive uh, muscle relaxation um, through meditation, then you know I think this uh, adding this on top afterwards will be hugely beneficial. Mm. Many are turning to CB2, CBD oils and supplements to help them find their natural rhythm. I've been using CB2 CBD oil for over a year now and I find it really helps me with public speaking. It quells the butterflies in my stomach and makes me feel less nervous. CB2 is premium full spectrum CBD oil crafted to the highest standards from plant to bottle. Made in Switzerland using a patented extraction method and bottled in the UK, CB2 CBD oil is independently tested for CBD that you can enjoy with confidence. Visit cbii-cbd.com for 30% off using the code SELFCARE30 on full-size oils and supplements. Delivering hypnotherapy, is it much trickier to do over video conference than in person? You know what, it actually isn't. I've been offering... um, uh, online uh, hypnotherapy for years but of course the only people that wanted it were my overseas clients um, or anybody outside of London but now that um, existing new clients are in a position where they can only have online it's it's you know you, you kind of have no choice but it is working fantastically well um, you know it's not like before where the systems and the internet was a little bit unstable more unstable I'd say about seven eight years ago it's completely much more streamlined now and now I would say uh, quite a few people enjoy it because they don't have the bother of commuting all the way to Harley Street they can have therapy in the comfort of their own home yeah and how do you find the sessions I mean what what how do you start them do you kind of get them comfortable first and just just walk me through a typical experience yeah so you know I, I always catch up with clients beforehand just to check in to make sure that if there is anything else I need to know ahead of delivering the session and the session I will deliver has always been prepared bespoke for the client following an initial consultation so if there's any further information we have a little chat there and then I ask people to uh, either lie down on their bed or a beanbag or somewhere where they can rest their neck and their head um, and then I usually start off with an Ericksonian approach, um, and that is uh, using metaphor storytelling to engage my client, something very relevant to their current situation. And then I go into hypnosis with the suggestion work and the therapeutic change. I rarely do the imagine you're in a garden now you're walking down 10 steps or you're feeling sleepy and sleepy (laughs) haven't ever done that actually so it's quite a creative yet engaging um approach and the feedback i have is that people um it feels like for them that they're listening to a bedtime story um but you know remarkably uh, powerful in the change work and do you kind of transcend your body? I've never actually experienced hypnotherapy because it's kind of similar to falling asleep, but you're still conscious. Is that right? You're still kind of aware of what's going on. Yeah, I would say it's like a, the stage before falling asleep. So, you know, when you're in front of the telly and you're nodding off, but you still know the telly's on or when we were flying around the world, it's when you're kind of half asleep on the airplane and... Um, 
you know, that kind of mode. It could be that, or it could also be um, the level of focus and concentration and relaxation you have from reading a book or watching a movie. Now, for me, I'm not too concerned about your royal you and your level of depth I'm more concerned that uh, clients are relaxed and focused and so that might mean a very light relaxed and focused state where similar to reading a book or watching a movie or something deeper where you're just a stage away from falling asleep Mm. and how long do the sessions usually last for are they kind of like an hour long yeah, typically an hour, anywhere between an hour and, you know, an hour and 15 minutes, yeah. uh, give or take. So, mm. And so you treat a lot of people with anxiety and stress, don't you? So like what are the most common contributing factors that you see in your clients? Obviously, everybody's got their own kind of set of issues and they're, they're on their own journey, but there must be some kind of similar triggers that you see in your clients. Yes, absolutely. So, well, actually, the triggers could be uh, could vary from person to person depending on um, what they're anxious about. But what their anxiety response is typically the same. So, um, when you're anxious about something in particular, you're going to have a narrative. You're going to have a baseline state that's always active with regards to. Um, that particular thing that you're anxious about and so therefore um, you may find that you are even a low level you might experience a low level of alertness all the time um, even when you're not uh, actively presented with that uh, anxiety inducing thing right but you just might be anxious all the time because of it. So, um, you know, an example might be, let's say you're anxious about using the underground. And even though you uh, cycle to work or you walk to work, you know that there'll be times at work that everybody goes on the tube for a meeting or something like that. And so even though it might, you avoid the tube, it's always at the back, back of your mind. And even somebody mentioning that, might cause that anxiety. Similarly, if you're anxious about, or you're or you're scared about snakes, dogs, cats, whatever it is, um, or you might have general anxiety where you just feel a little bit on edge most of the time for no pinpointed reason, um, and in that way you might wake up in the morning with a sudden um, feeling in your chest as you wake up. Um, and, uh, and and you might feel quite jarred by that for a few moments and then you might need to do something to calm yourself down before getting on with your day and that might carry on into the evening and before bedtime you might also struggle to go to sleep because you feel a little bit on edge without knowing the exact cause of it. So these are typical responses that people go through um, with anxiety and it's on a... It's on a um, sliding scale you know sometimes you might find that your anxiety is high sometimes it might be low but there is going to be a baseline that just is with you all the time with regards to that particular thing or if it's general then it's just going to be there all the time so it's really you're dealing with the anxiety from a mental point of view an emotional point of view and a physical point of view and it can be draining after a while because it's something else you have to deal with on top of everything else and more often than not people are trying to hide it hide their anxiety 
um, which of course uh, takes even more it takes it takes up even more energy mm. that could be used elsewhere yeah and what about burnout and adrenal fatigue do you see these as kind of common cases Yes, I mean, it does happen. And, you know, I guess traditionally people think, well, if you're in a high paced job in the city, then you're definitely going to be one of those burnout candidates. But that's not necessarily true, because if you're suffering from high anxiety, you're more prone to burnout much more than um, somebody who doesn't suffer from anxiety, just because you're already burdened with all these other things. So um, stress, burnout is something that I saw a lot of at the beginning of April, um, shortly after we were all told to be in lockdown, people were overworking, um, working all hours because of the fear of losing their job um, was just dangling in front of them. Now a lot of people have uh, calmed down as they've become more accustomed to lockdown and they've realised actually my job is a little bit more secure than I thought it was. But at the start, um, Hetty, it was just burnout was all that I was hearing really? that's across so, the board. That's yeah. interesting. Do you think that's because people had like lack of boundaries as well working at home? Because, you know, there's there's no off button, is there? Like you can you could work as many hours as the day gives you, really. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, you can work many more hours. And if your colleagues are working all those hours, then there was just... Uh, there was this expectation that you should be doing that and you know but and then there was no no switch off um so your phone's always with you um you don't have the same excuse as oh i was on the tube or the train or da 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 um the computer's there with you all the time and it's especially difficult when let's say uh, you're a solicitor or a barrister and you should be going into court for your clients now all of a sudden you're having to um, do things over Zoom and, you know, what are the rules and the regulations around that and how do you um, continue with court proceedings so, uh, over over online? And so then there's a whole new skill set that you have to learn, a whole bunch of rules that have to be adhered to. So there was a sharp learning curve for a lot of my clients who really weren't set up to be taking work home anyway. Mm. And what are some kind of hacks that you teach your clients about cultivating confidence and, and self-esteem naturally without, you know, because there's, a, there's a, a culture in our society of, you know, going out, having work drinks to kind of put on that protective shield to make us more confident and sociable. But, you know, to do it in a more healthy, natural way, what, what are some things that you suggest? So the number one thing I say to all of my clients is pick something that you've always wanted to do that you some reason didn't think that you should or couldn't be doing it and start making small steps to doing that so um for example um i had a client who thought she would never ever be able to do um go to a dance class or start dancing she always wanted to dance um learn how to dance but she never had the confidence to do that so I asked her specifically to start learning a couple of dance steps at home in front of YouTube. Now, this is before lockdown, um, but just as an example. So um, learn something at home, uh, a couple of steps here and there, and then go start going to um, a dance class, but with the teacher only. So private tuition for one or two classes 
to build up your confidence, build up your skill set, and then eventually start going to dance classes. And she started to do that. And after about six months, she reported back saying, I never thought I would be able to do that. I never thought I would have the confidence to do something like that in public. And in public, she meant in a dance class. Um, And with that, she was able to sort of break down the barriers to other things that she thought she couldn't or shouldn't be doing. So confidence, the way it really works is um, doing something in a small amount, proving to yourself that you can do it, just step by step by step by step. And if that means starting out in private like she did, you know, watching YouTube at home, and then taking it a step further, having a couple of private one-to-one lessons with a dance teacher, and then taking it to a class, you see your confidence builds slowly like that, and you prove to yourself that you can do it. And once you have that experience, like, um, I wish she was here to talk about it, she was so enthusiastic about it, but once you've had that experience where you've moved from... um, Uh, not believing in yourself, not necessarily having the capability or the competence to do it, and then going through the steps of learning the know-how, teaching yourself it, um, and thereby um, improving your confidence, I think it is a remarkable thing. And once you've done that once with one thing, it's rinse and repeat with other things. Yeah. And you touched on um, diet nutrition earlier with kind of people getting addicted to food and stuff. But, you know, 90% of serotonin is made in the gut. So, like, how do you help people draw that kind of connection with, with mind and gut health? Do you, do you do any of that in your hypnotherapy? Do you try and... Yes, sometimes I do. What I say with anything to do with food addiction, especially when it's um, sugar-related, and I'm including all of the hidden sugars as well, um, but especially when it's sugar related, I say to all clients, what I, you know, to, to get the best success from this, I would like you to, as hard as this might be, is to stay off the sugar for three to four days before starting therapy, because then we really are working at the mind level, because I want to be working with the emotions and the mental attitude Um, and what the triggers are you know if it's boredom are you eating because you're bored are you eating because you're stressed or angry or lonely are you eating as a reward or you know is it Friday and you're eating because you know you are alone you've had a stressful week and now you're bored you know it could be a combination of things but when I get started with people I do say to everyone before the first session stay off that kind of food as much as you can just to flush it out of your body um, especially with sugar once you start that your body just wants it more Um, I say the same things for people who come uh, for uh, smoking as well you know cigarette smoking same sort of thing yeah because a lot of the time it's just a habit isn't it and takes I mean how many days does it actually take to kick a habit it's not that long is it physically speaking not that long um so I want to see the people when they're at that point where it is just a mind game we are dealing with boredom we're dealing with a mental habit here um and so that's the sweet spot that's when you should uh, start a therapy um really after three or four days now that's not something that everybody wants to hear they want to see a hypnotherapist 
made the uh, wave the magic wand and they'd be cured in one hour yeah um <laughs> yeah exactly it doesn't work like that no. no so thinking about endorphins so this is one we often associate with exercise um yes. but it's also it, it's it's pain as well isn't it endorphins is our own mm. indigenous um, morphine um so the hypnotherapy is used isn't it as a tool for managing pain and helping the body kind of produce that natural painkiller yes it is and um it's interesting that you mentioned that i um i uh, produced a study some years ago um specifically with uh, hypnotherapy and pain management and uh, what I found during my research at the time was that where hypnotherapy really works in pain management is the relaxation of the mind and of the body Um, and that might sound fairly trivial um, when I say it like that oh well you know if I just relax a bit it doesn't mean that the pain's going to go away of course but what it does do is um, relaxes the heightened emotions that come with um, physical pain because if you're if you're suffering from chronic pain um, for example and you're living with it day in day out it is mentally exhausting it's so stressful and it can um in some people you know i've heard people say it's completely changed my personality i used to be bright and bubbly and happy um and now i've got this and i'm suffering with this all the time it's just made me miserable short fused angry and things like that so hypnotherapy i find works well in conjunction with other therapy that you're um, and other treatments you're having with your doctor and um, because it helps you to relax more and more and relaxes um, some of those heightened stress states like anger as well and with that uh, you feel a lot calmer in your mind and body and then you are just dealing with the acute pain rather than everything else because you know with the with the way the um the, the pain is associated with your emotions and how it's modulated in the brain it can really help mm. um, as part of a wider care so is it when cortisol is reduced it allows endorphins to kind of flow more easily yeah so basically um, you know you're having um you know you, you uh, have an experience of pain ouch i've just hurt myself um, it, it goes up goes up into your brain it gets uh, modulated your brain sees it as pain and then you experience it in your mind as pain so when things are relaxed a little bit more, you get into the habit of relaxing yourself, um, especially with chronic pain, you will notice that you will um, feel it less because you're not so much on edge. You know, you're not so alert to it. It's not so much in your face, um, so to speak. Um, Yeah, so I would say um, to uh, hypnotherapy, can be good uh, as part of a wider care treatment. There are some schools of thought saying um, only use hypnotherapy. I'm against that. Um, I would say, you know, always uh, speak to your doctor and get a combined approach. That would be best. Yeah. 
And do you ever come across people kind of over-exercising as a, a form of running away from their feelings, kind of swapping one pain for another? Because endorphins are quite like addictive in themselves, aren't they? Once you kind of get that experience of like the runner's high, it's quite hard to to then stop. Um, I know quite a few people who do this, who have very high stress jobs and then then kind of do this intense exercise to combat that stress they're feeling. But in a way, like, shouldn't they be doing more meditation or like talking about how they're feeling as opposed to Hmm. covering it up? Yeah, balancing it out, balance, really. I mean, it it happens, and you're absolutely right. I mean, it's, I see it too, um, people in very extraordinarily stressful jobs, um, and then they finish at 7pm or, you know, whatever time they started in the morning, and they and they um, do like a, a 10k run or something like that and you're just left wondering wow you've had the most stressful day how can you put your body under even more stress um but it's the endorphins uh, it's making them feel good and it is releasing the stress to a certain point but um it's not a- exclusive to that group i mean anybody can get a, a, let's say addicted to, to a certain degree um too too much exercise it can absolutely happen and i think in lockdown it's probably happening a little bit more um because people are trying to uh, reduce their boredom and they want to see this as a time to um get their body into shape but it can get you know what i see a lot of is this um uh, thing where you eat a lot of junk food um, and you counter it by doing a lot of exercise. Um, so you might do two hours a day of exercise, um, but then you might also be eating a lot of sugar or overeating or binge eating uh, a few times a week. So that is something that would and should be addressed because there's not much balance there on either side. I think really taking exercise in moderation and meditation in moderation and food and everything um this will be better for mental health and better for your body i mean you know to give it a chance to relax recuperate and recover yeah it's quite hedonistic behavior as well isn't it kind of just seeking out pleasure wherever you can through food and through the feel-good hormones that you get through exercise the whole thing is very kind of self-fulfilling isn't it yeah it's almost and and that in itself uh you know just it it can um cause difficulty because you know what are you escaping from what's so uncomfortable in your feelings that you can't sit with them for you know an hour or two or half a day or a day or, or whatever and uh and and escaping those feelings by throwing yourself into exercise or this or that or whatever it is um, will only take you so far. Of course, we all um, have off days, um, but if you're uh, using exercise or food or something like that to escape from a feeling deep inside, Um, that feeling is not going to go away it's just going to stay there and it's probably going to get louder and louder um, as time goes on so and you know and there might be some learning in there it probably is worth exploring and looking into that 
and just so that you can get some balance and you don't have to be constantly running away from a bad feeling or or trying to always make your life perfect having you know putting pressure on yourself to always feel good no matter what it's just um it's impossible i mean it it it, it is absolutely impossible and unsustainable too yeah and it's not real mm. yeah it's true and you get I think a lot of it is to do with kind of this um instant gratification we get through you know social media and through our emails it's like constant whir of information so that people can and like you know shopping online people can literally get whatever they want at the click of a button and it's the same with feelings I guess they think I want to feel happy I will do this and yeah like you said they're not sitting with it and actually thinking through how they're feeling or slowing down yeah, and, and why sit with it? It's painful. It hurts. Why open that can of worms? Um, you know, uh, surely I can just go to the kitchen and grab a sweet or drink something or, you know, and I'll instantly feel better and switch off. It's a form of escapism. And, you know, it, we all do it, so I don't want to just, like, uh, throw a ton of bricks on uh, everybody that's way <laughs> but um you know if you if you find uh, that you're doing it day after day after day um and the niggling feeling in the background is am i doing this because i'm unhappy in my uh, relationship am i doing this because i'm unhappy um in my job or with my family situation you know those things are just not going to go away um, with food or alcohol or too much exercise and, and things like that um, and perhaps working through it making some changes you know you might get that natural happiness on the other side of the work um, but it's scary but it is scary um, facing that by yourself because uh, what I find is when people um, or when we're when we're engaged in that behaviour, switching off or escaping by this, that, and the other, it's usually because the thing inside our intuition, our gut feeling, is very strong, and it's telling us if you listen to me inside and you listen to this little voice, um, there might be a very big life change ahead of you. And what does that mean? Fear, fear of the unknown. What if I do leave my partner and I don't meet somebody else as good? Um, or what if I have to then spend the rest of my life alone? What if I never meet anybody? Surely it's better to just stay here and um, self-medicate or just cope, muddle through with this, that and the other. Um, you know, it, it poses a lot of risk, you know, change does. Mm. Yeah, and like you say, there's a lot of work that you've got to put into getting there. And I think what everyone's trying to achieve is is con sorry contentment, right? Isn't it? Just you know that that kind of feeling happy in the everyday, but not necessarily like having happy highs. Just feeling content with what you've got. And actually, it, go it goes back to dopamine because dopamine is all about um, expectation of reward, isn't it? It's not actually it's the lower your expectations in life, the happy you are, happier you are as a result. Because if you go into something thinking, "Oh, I'm, yeah, this is going to be amazing, it's going to be great," and then you don't get the desired outcome, then suddenly you have this like plummet in how you, in dopamine, how you feel, and then that turns into kind of you know a, a negative behaviour. So, yeah, absolutely, and that plays into. Um just using the example of uh, 
being in an unhappy relationship. If you expect that this is the best it's going to get, then you're probably not going to leave. Um, and even though your gut feeling or intuition is telling you it's not right, uh, you don't believe or you don't have that expectation that it, uh, anything else out there might be better. So you might just stay and just muddle through and cope with the strategies that you have. Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting. So that's in, in the opposite way. So, you know, but it's, it's something that... Um, we all have problems like this time and time again. So anybody that's listening, I don't want them to feel that we're picking on <laughs> on a particular group or anything like that. This happens. It happens to all of us at some stage or another where there's a, um, a burning thing on the inside that eventually tells us something has to change. This cannot go on anymore. Um, and at that point, you just need to know that you're not alone. There is help that you can get. There's fantastic counsellors, psychotherapists, holistic therapists, life coaches. There's a lot of support and help out there. Um, you know, so I, my advice would be to speak to a few different people and the person that resonates with you, start therapy. Don't think that you have to suffer in silence. Yeah. And actually, it's it's Mental Health Awareness Week at the moment, um, and I think kindness is is the theme. Um, and it's it's interesting to think about how f- kindness it kind of feels good to give back to others. There's the, the like the helpers high that you get. Um, be interested to hear your opinion on that. Yeah, I mean it's fantastic feeling to give, and you know uh, I think it was it was with, it was with Dose that I was talking about this. It's just been. Um, put out there today I think and you know that feeling that you get when you give you give to somebody whether that's giving your time you know a listening ear for half an hour hearing the other person talk um, or helping them in some way uh, from a practical point of view it will feel good because you know it it will give you a sense of purpose um that you've helped someone you know and and this is always a a nice feeling but also it puts into context for lots of people what they have that the other person doesn't have and with that comes a huge amount of gratitude and appreciation for your own life right so when you help someone, uh, let's say um, they're not well and you do the grocery shop for them or something like that, it, it, it gives you that feeling that, oh, I'm, you know, I'm fortunate enough to be in good health that I can do this. Um, that's a little example, but that's really what's going on. It's a, it's a action of love. You know, it's a, it can give you purpose, me, me, uh, a meaning. Um, but also gratitude and appreciation um, when you when you help others out. Yeah. And do you come across people who are frustrated by social media? Like, and that's part of the reason why they're anxious because, you know, their friends are on it, but they feel like it's triggering for them in some way. Yes, especially, well, yes, with social media, where it becomes, you know, a real pain for a lot of people is following a relationship breakup. So you just broke up with your partner, let's say a few weeks ago, a couple of months ago, and you're seeing their fantastic life. 
on social media, that's where it causes a lot of problems for um, my clients uh, on Instagram, on Facebook, and <clears throat> oh, that person is doing this now, that person is doing that now. And that can, uh, you know, it, it causes its own problems and pain, but it also can cause a lot of happiness. It's like a double-edged sword because if you broke up with your partner, um, you you feel this urge, this compulsion to look at their uh, social media profile in the hope, let's say you were the person that were that ended it. Um, no, the other person ended it, you were the, the one who was told it's over. Um, you'll be looking at that profile um, online, uh, hoping to see them by themselves. And then you might feel suddenly a relief, you know, from the buildup of anxiety. And then you might look through their likes or comments or start snooping around a little bit more and you might see a familiar face pop up and that might cause you even more anxiety and then the cycle starts again. Um, so for, for this particular group of people, it's very painful and can cause a lot of issues. Mm. Do, you tell them, do you tell them to just not look? Is that your advice? To not go on social media? Or do you, it's impossible well, to start this again? <clears throat> no, well, I, because I help people... Um, you know, move on from their uh, relationships, failed marriages, that sort of thing. Um, Part of that is um, stopping or uh, reducing this thought process that leads to the behaviour of checking up. Um, And and that's not exclusive to social media. Um, It could be their email if you have their password especially if you were in a long-term relationship or that was your husband or your wife um, so you might still be getting their post and all sorts of things like that but uh, just as a whole it's that going through the process of detachment you know from from that uh, person which includes social social media yeah Oh, Mama Linda, it's been so fascinating talking to you. How how are you coping at home? Are you finding it, you know, that you're in a routine now during lockdown, or are you really looking forward to, you know, the easing of restrictions? Ah, oh, interesting. I'm actually looking forward uh, to um, more of a balance going forward. Um, so I'm very much looking forward to seeing uh, my clients at, at the practice in Harley Street and seeing some on Zoom. So rather than being at the practice uh, five days a week, it will be nice to be there for a few days and, you know, striking that balance that we talked about earlier. And I think this has been a really good um, uh, training ground, so to speak, you know, for me and as I'm sure it has been for others as well. Yeah, I'm sure this is just the way it will move forward. I know, um, you know, I've, I've got friends who work in big corporate firms who are already looking at ways of people working from home more in the future. It's it's quite groundbreaking, really. But a lot of positive mm. things will come from it, I'm sure. I hope so. I really do. Yeah. Oh, well, enjoy the rest of your day and thank you so much again for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Have a lovely day. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. If you have any questions about today's podcast, please drop us a line at hello at whateveryourdose.com.